You are listening to School of Talk. We are creating a world where every child experiences the power of a great teacher. We believe education is the answer. It has the power to conduct change, improve lives, unlock ideas, create opportunities, and build connections. It's the single greatest investment we can make today to create a better tomorrow. That's why we're on a mission to train, inform, and inspire educators around the world. Each week, we dive into a topic related to education, teaching, and learning. Whether you're an educator by trade or an educator by spirit, we've got something for you. Open up your mind and get ready to soak in some new learning. Class is in session. Today's episode is brought to you by Schooly. Schooly is an online tutoring platform for K-12 schools that delivers scale, security, and the best technology for one-on-one learning. Designed with the classroom in mind, Schooly offers schools and districts the learning support students need to understand difficult concepts. Students can connect with expert tutors directly and instantly through a safe online learning environment. Schooly's easy-to-use digital classroom can be accessed anytime and from anywhere. Today's episode features Dr. John Spencer. John is a former middle school teacher and current college professor on a quest to transform schools into bastions of creativity and wonder. He wants to see teachers unleash the creative potential in all of their students so that kids can be makers, designers, artists, and engineers. John explores research, interviews educators, deconstructs systems, and studies real-world examples of design thinking in action. Let's dive into today's episode and learn more about implementing voice, choice, and creativity into the classroom. Thank you so much for being here, John. Welcome to School of Talk. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Glad to be here. Thank you. I was wondering if uh, you could start off by just telling me a little bit about how you got into the world of education. Yeah, so my route to education um, was kind of unexpected. Like I know there's a lot of people who who they knew they wanted to become teachers, you know, when they were kids and they would dream about it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, I was actually in the nonprofit world in college and I was doing program development. I was um, a history major and um, and then also an education major. And I figured, you know, it's just good to know education if you're going to be working within, you know, the nonprofit world and you want to teach people and that kind of stuff. Um, and for me, it really started as like a geeky interest of like, how do people learn and let's figure this out for program development and everything. And then I remember I did a practicum at a middle school and I just knew it. I was in the classroom for, you know, one day and I thought, you know, I'm never going to need to become a teacher, but this will be an interesting experience. Um, you know, I was working with kind of low income nonprofits and I realized like this is where I meant to be. I love this. And so that was my, my route into education. Um, and it was kind of unexpected, you know, it was one of those things where you just, you sort of discover that you're a teacher rather than, you know, wanting to become one. It's almost a discovery thing. 
it sounds like you kind of already had like a bit of a vocational calling for helping people. Mm-hmm. And then once you were around children or youth of any type, it it does kind of strike a chord sometimes with certain people and yeah. you realize you can make a big difference um, mm-hmm. by focusing on education. Uh, that's amazing. And do you currently work in an educational setting? Yeah, so my, my journey was I worked for a nonprofit and, and part of it is I was running our tutoring and mentoring program. Um, I was coordinating a lot of mentors and, and, and helping design curriculum. So I was already kind of becoming a teacher without realizing it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I taught middle school for 12 years. And then for the last six and a half, almost seven years now, I've been at the um, higher education level teaching teachers. Um, and that has been so much fun. I really enjoyed working with kind of a cohort of excited pre-service teachers who are coming in and, and, and becoming teachers. It's really exciting. Is there a certain aspect of education that like really inspires you or that you're particularly passionate about? Yeah, I'm really passionate about um, creativity in the classroom, Um, whether that's design thinking or project-based learning, inquiry-based learning. Um, I just think that there's something really powerful that happens when students get to be makers and problem solvers, designers, and I love the fact that it, it it's something that can work in all subjects, right? So I love seeing the, the creativity that's involved in, say, a STEM challenge, but also a service learning project. And they might be really different, but there's this common element of the divergent thinking, the empathy, the problem solving, all of those things that, that are, are kind of interdisciplinary. And so that's where I'm most passionate, you know, this whole idea of, of classrooms being bastions of creativity and wonder you mentioned like projects and stem learning and things like that so where where does a teacher start with trying to incorporate this like creative model into their practice so i really think about it in a in a few different ways one is um you know figure out where you can have voice and choice and creativity right so um where can students have more freedom in their learning, more autonomy, more agency. And that would start with, you know, giving them options, um, doing a choice menu, something small like that, um, allowing them to engage in self-assessment and peer assessment, whatever that starting place will be, kind of starting small. And, and that would be sort of in the voice and choice side. In the area of just creativity, I think it's any type of work that inspires them to engaging creative thinking that matters to them, right? So a small way to start would be a mini project. They might do, an example of that would be um, a Wonder Day project. And Wonder Day projects are basically students ask any question that they want related to what they're learning, right? So it could be weather patterns that they're interested. It could be, um, you know, they're you're studying the Civil War and they have questions about the Civil War. It could be in language arts where it's really open-ended and, and the key thing that you're teaching them is the actual research process. But then they go from asking that question to engaging in research to sharing their findings either in a podcast um, or in a video. You know, in our class when I taught middle school, we did curiosity casts. And so that we had one feed with all of these questions that students would ask they would be in partners and they would just share what they learned with their partner. And it was real simple, but it was fascinating. So it could be something like that, just a single day, um, you know, single class period, mini project you do. It could be something where you give students, um, you know, 
three items and have them design something in sort of a, a divergent thinking design sprint that takes 15 minutes. So it doesn't have to be big. It can be a single class period, 15 minutes there, a little five minute warm up, And those things add up over time. And it, it, you know, they're, they're small things that can lead to a big difference in terms of students developing that creative thinking. I think that's amazing. And it sounds so engaging. And um, even just giving them, it, when you mentioned a podcast, like a group of middle schoolers learning how to podcast is an amazing skill set mm-hmm. on its own, aside from probably what they were podcasting about and the topic itself. So that's really cool. Who benefits from this style of teaching? Like, obviously the kids are having fun, but is this more work for teachers? Yeah, I really think, I mean, one of the, I actually wrote a a blog post on this topic recently on this idea that student-centered learning can actually free the teacher up a lot to have more time. And so, yes, the, this benefits the, the students in terms of developing those soft skills, um, or, in terms of the way that the learning sticks. So I'll give, you know, project-based learning, for example. Um, Project-based learning can lead to an increase in student achievement compared to traditional methods, but it's a minor increase. It's not hugely different. But the key difference is that the learning sticks longer. So at the student level, yes, there are these things where I would say, yeah, it's beneficial to students. They're also developing those soft skills, all that kind of stuff. But the other piece is at the teacher level, I think it makes teaching more fun. I think it makes it more enjoyable when kids are excited and engaged, when you're focused more on this intrinsic element of, of motivation rather than you know, the rules and procedures and constantly you know, hammering those things. But it's also just less exhausting. When students are doing more work, we have more freedom to, to, to have those one-on-one conversations and those small group check-ins and things like that. And so um, in a way, it can take a lot of the, the work off of our plate. You know, an example would be just be with assessment. If they're doing self-assessment and peer assessment, that just reduces the amount of grading that we're doing while also giving them immediate feedback that they need. And so I really think that that's, this creative style of teaching can actually make teaching become more sustainable for us as educators. I think that's really interesting. And um, I'm hearing what you're saying about, you know, peer feedback and kind of like having a teacher almost like float around and interact with the students and have these like one-on-one discussions with them about what they're learning. Mm -hmm. Does something like this take a lot of time to set up at the beginning of the year? Or is it something that you can just jump into whenever you feel inspired to do so? Yeah, I mean, I really think that it does take a little more prep work. I I love the way you're thinking about in, in terms of like that initial investment. One of the challenges is it is in the beginning a bit of, of a of a heavier lift to go do something different that then pays off over time. Um, that's why I think it's really helpful to start small, right? To say, we're going to do a mini project. That doesn't require a lot of extra prep, right? It's, it's, we're going to do a one day project. You know, I'm going to introduce you to some ideas. You're going to have a little bit of voice and choice and sort of do a gradual release approach where you slowly give more and more and more freedom to students. Let's be honest. The last couple of years have been challenging for educators, families, and especially students. 
But luckily, Schooly is here to help support and accelerate outcomes for all students. Schooly offers unlimited, on-demand tutoring with professional educators for K-12 schools and districts across America. With one-to-one drop-in homework help and 24-hour assignment review, Schooly offers the most reliable and scalable online tutoring service available. If you're interested in learning more about how Schooly can help your students, head over to go.schooly.com podcast. That's go.schooly.com podcast. Go.schooly.com podcast. Find out how you can bring unlimited online tutoring to your students with Schooly. And, and, you know, that allows you as a teacher to experience that learning curve on your own. You know, I gave the example of, of self-assessments and, and peer assessments. For me, you know, I could only manage in the beginning to do really one project per quarter. So four projects a year before I went even more project-based. During that time, I didn't do a lot of peer and self-assessment because I just didn't know how to design them. There was a big learning curve. I didn't know about some of the templates that were out there and examples. And so I think it's okay that we give ourselves the permission, knowing that some of this takes a little bit of extra time in the beginning, to really start small and recognize that this is a journey that might take years. And that's okay. That's that's the fun of it is that it is a journey and that we can grow over time. Mm-hmm. I think that's always important too, to give yourself a little bit of patience and know mm-hmm. like it doesn't, you don't have to master it the first time you try it, right? It's yeah. like a long process like mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of you know I taught kindergarten for a year yeah and basically everything in kindergarten is an experiment so <laughs> it's all new it's everything. all new yeah <laughs> and you know it, it just it's and of course you can do this with older kids and middle schoolers and things like that but it does make me think of like you put in the time to set them up for success and you kind of like build that community around like how we learn and supporting mm-hmm. each other and and being responsible in a, in a way and then mm-hmm. suddenly the independence is there and you can let these kids go and learn and explore and it's very authentic to them because yeah. you're not teaching them from a blackboard or from a book you're teaching them mm-hmm. from experience yeah i can definitely see that do you have an example of someone who or perhaps yourself or or an example of where this was done like really well you know, one one of the examples I think of is there's a, a school that I work right with right now um, called Renaissance Academy in um, in Michigan, and I love the fact that for them it's been a school wide process. So they know that that doing creative work, in their case, it's it's project based learning, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. And one of the things I love is that they've done it through a really collaborative process. So the grade levels plan together. There's also vertical collaboration between grade levels. They really focused on coming up with sort of uh, protocols or structures that they'll use for brainstorming or for problem solving or for peer feedback or whatever it may be for building empathy. And they, they modify these structures to be simpler at younger grade levels, to be more complex at older grade levels. And so students learn these these structures or protocols 
for creative thinking as they go. Um, and it just becomes sort of second nature for them. But what I love about it is they were really strategic about how they were going to design it, making sure that it's designed at the school-wide level and really, truly collaborative. Uh, and then they also essentially said, you know, we're going to start small with, you know, one protocol per grade level, also, you know, one project per semester. They didn't go big at first. And now they're kind of in maybe year three or year four of the journey. And it's a place that's really built on student choice and, and voice and project-based learning. But I think the same thing can be true. I've seen departments that do this same kind of thing. So little pockets of innovation within schools. And then I think we as teachers, you know, I've seen some brand new pre-service teachers that I've worked with that have been part of my cohort who have sort of chosen their one thing to start with, right? We're going to start with um, a, a mini project that's one class period or one week. Um, I can think about one teacher I'm working with who's doing that right now in his uh, student teaching or another student who, um, you know, she's working with first graders and, um, you know, they're struggling. They, they, they were gone all of last year. There's been really challenging behaviors. And so she's really focused on doing some kind of creative work that's built on student empathy and just getting them to be more empathetic. And it's small, it's structured. It's a lot of conversations and, and, and dialogue together as a class. And she's just starting there. And for her, the notion of peer feedback and self-assessment, she can't go there right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's okay, but she can start with this small empathy-based uh, mini project that she's doing with students. So I, I really think what you see in all of those examples is teachers saying, I'm gonna be intentional with this, but I'm also gonna start small and have some of those early wins and then build bigger over time. Yes, I love that. Early wins start small because, you know, if you dive in with two feet, sometimes you get a little bit uh, maybe discouraged if it doesn't yeah, go well you get the first time. Completely, yeah. Yeah, yes. which I think new teachers feel often anyway. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to get used to it first. Yep. But, yep. but I do think, yeah, you don't want to um, get scared out of trying something new. So just, start with what you can manage and then build on that. Yes. Yeah, that's good, absolutely. That's a good message. Um, and you were talking a little bit about a school that was um, working on project-based learning as like a whole school initiative. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain area that you think school leaders should invest like time or resources into over the next yeah. couple of years? Yeah, so I think my, my first thought is, I think we get a little bit too wrapped up around like the terms, like, are we gonna be inquiry-based or project-based or are we gonna launch design thinking or whatever it may be? And I think the really important thing for school leaders is to first focus on what, what they want students to develop in terms of those soft skills and then all of the different ways to get there. You know, it could be that they're doing writer's workshops. It could be that they're doing service learning projects and there's all kinds of different ways to get there. And I think it really starting with that and then then asking themselves, what are the ways that we will support teachers um, in order to, to make this a reality? And so one of the things that kind of fails is like the, the standalone workshop, right? We're going to do a workshop, we'll do a PBL workshop, eight hours long, and then go do it. 
I think it's important that leaders ask, what is doable? What do teachers need? And build those support systems. So it might be, yes, a workshop, but it might be, how do we improve teacher self-efficacy? How do we get teachers motivated? Um, doing some surveys with teachers ahead of time to just see where they're at and what they need. You know, asking teachers, what kind of support do you need? Some teachers, they want coaching and they might need to invest in coaching. Some teachers say, I don't want to coach. That's more time, more meetings. I don't need that. And really differentiating for teachers the same way that we differentiate for, for students. Um, and then also giving the permission loudly and clearly to make mistakes along the way. So if a, if, a, if a school leader says, we want you to be creative, we want students to engage in creative work, we, we want you to take risks, and then you base all success, all celebrations, everything on standardized test score data, there's going to be a disconnect, right? There's mm -hmm. going to be a bit of a culture of fear. So it's really important that they not only provide those systems, but they create those permissions to sort of fail forward. I think that's such a good point. Like, I think if we're going to focus on these initiatives and reframe the way that we see learning, we have to do it from a foundational level. So everything like how we assess, what we mm -hmm. expect teachers to accomplish, all of those things have to be changed. And, you know, the data shows us that this style of learning is more effective long term. So mm -hmm. it does make sense to focus on it that way. Yeah, it, it does last. And so I think it's a little bit of like administrators and leadership being patient to let those results happen over time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course, like there's pressure. Everyone feels pressure from different places. But I think like I, the, every time I ask someone this question, the same message comes through of like, ask your teachers what they need. Well, and not only that, but I also think, you know, we tend to, to think about, you know, how do you improve teacher self-efficacy, how do you improve their motivation, right? The, the sense of efficacy being like, I feel like I can do this, this motivation of like, I want to do this. But I think that in order to do that, one of the things that's missing sometimes from professional development and from these initiatives is the affirmation piece. And so like one of the things that I've done when, when I've led, you know, PBL coaching or workshops or ongoing, you know, professional learning is asking teachers to identify what they're already doing that connects to it. Because I think we sometimes treat these things as like scary and different and everything. And we forget that like innovation really is iteration. It really is making small revisions to what we're doing. And over time, it, it creates something that's transformative. And I think that a lot of administrators forget that teachers need to be affirmed for the great work that they're doing and they need to see that what they're learning in professional development attaches to what they're already doing. That's such a good point because I, I'm sure you've seen like sometimes teachers shut down when they're given like mm -hmm. a new approach or something new and it's like, oh my gosh, I have 32 kids in my class. I have five IEPs to write this week. Mm -hmm. I have four parent phone calls. I have a lot going on. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so I think sometimes people shut down with the idea of like, okay, there's another new thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a, I think combining it with like, what are we already doing and how does it relate to this and how can we almost simplify our lives as teachers to incorporate this and, you know, improve our, our day-to-day -day work and our students' success rates and all of that at once. That's, I think, the entry point here for all of us.
Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> Definitely. Is there um, a message or a recommendation or an idea or anything like that that you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah, I just, I think that the last thing would just be to, to recognize that these things will always be an experiment. There will always be mistakes. And if something doesn't work the first time, really to treat it as an experiment that you learned something from. And, mm-hmm. and so I would say when it comes to trying in any of these different methods to recognize that success is the fact that you tried and experimented rather than viewing success as it was amazing and look at the student outcomes. And I think if we do that and we take that approach of really redefining the success for ourselves, then that's when a lot of the creative, innovative work truly begins to happen. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I really appreciated you ch- chatting with me today. Is there a place that our audience can follow you or, or learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you go to spencerauthor.com, you'll find um, that's my blog, my website. I have different resources. So I mentioned like the, the Wonder Day Project or Divergent Thinking Challenge. You can download those um, for free. So um, you can check those out and um, get those free downloads and um, get started. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of School of Talk. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you love today's episode, share this out with a friend. Class is dismissed. Dismissed.